0: Welcome to Crime on Prime Time. I'm your host, Kinsey Huseman, and I'm here with my two best friends.
1: What's up, y'all? It's A-Rod from Malik's
2: place. And Malik.
0: And Malik's girlfriend in the background. Hey, JC. Hello. Yeah, that's right. For the first time ever, we have two of Crime, Crime on Prime Time's hosts at the same location. It's rare. It's rare when it happens.
3: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm
0: so if the audio sounds a little bit weird it's because we are not professionals and we're having to make this work because we realize when we actually get together we don't know how to podcast
2: yeah i don't know how to do that
0: yeah seems like we should yeah. but we don't because you know we just don't live in the same states but a Maybe. Rob, would you would you like to share why you're at Malik's place?
4: you uh, yes I will.
1: The reason I'm here is because I graduated yesterday on Friday, August fourth. <laughs> Shout out to Malik, Kins, everyone who helped me once again. I know y'all sh- I chatted y'all last podcast, but give y'all another one.
0: And for those of you that don't know, because so far we've heard that A Rod is at Malik's place because A Rod graduated. A Rod graduated from the college that Malik works at.
1: Well, who was at the college before
0: me? A Rod was there first. Mm, yeah. Uh, was
2: yeah, not relevant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I told him the here.
0: All right, Malik, do you have a question for us?
2: So after people, you know, take a shower. Apparently, there's not one way to do this. I was watching. There's a podcast that I watch with JC and people get out of the shower and get dressed in a different order. So how do we.
0: A podcast you watch. Mm
2: hmm.
0: You watch podcasts on
2: YouTube. Yeah, on Spotify, Hmm. too. You can watch them with the video. Whoa. Mm hmm.
0: Maybe yeah, this is something no we need to explore.
2: We're you're no one there, because
0: You didn't have to do that. <laughs> no, uh, I thought I podcast was a you. listening medium. Whoa, I feel so attacked They're, today. You did let me finish my
1: sentence. They don't want to watch you sitting down next to your bed.
0: <laughs> That's probably fair. Yeah, there's nothing interesting about the actual like watching of what we're doing.
2: We're not famous enough to do that yet. No. Yeah. Basically so what's the order you get dressed when you get out of the shower?
0: Okay, well so, if you if you really want to know my routine
2: Don't wait, don't make it weird. Are you gonna give
0: me options? No. That's how do you get dressed? Like, yeah. it's plain
2: simple.
0: Okay, well usually I shower in the mornings because I go and work out before I go to work. I always work out in the morning, so I shower in the morning. So I dry off. I probably sit down for a while on my towel and sit scroll down. on my phone.
1: <laughs> you sit down? Wait. Uh, <laughs> I don't need to play, play-by-play. I just need to know, like, how <laughs> do you put clothes on?
2: Why do you sit down?
1: <laughs> like, what do you put on? Like, do you put a T-shirt on first? Do you put your socks on first? Like, what do you do?
0: Well, I'm like still wearing my towel and then I have to go look at my closet to see what I want to wear to work that day. And I walk back and forth trying to look for what I want to wear. And then when I have the outfit in mind, I go and I put on my underwear. I put on my pants. I put on my bra. And then I put on my shirt and then I do my hair and makeup and then put on my socks and my shoes.
2: I just don't understand who gets dry and then goes and sits down.
0: <laughs> no, I don't like. Don't you like? You wrap yourself in your towel and then you just no! sit down on the to- like the toilet seat or the side of the tub and you just scroll on your phone. Dry off. No, the seat's just... down. Like it's all closed. You're just like sitting there chilling, scrolling on your phone. No,
3: no, I you do that ready. before you get in the I shower. I get ready.
0: I do that in the shower too.
1: Oh. So, since Ken's gave me the play-by-play for morning, I might as well just go through my more whole morning routine.
0: Yeah, I want to hear it.
1: I I wake up at 6:53 every morning. 53. 53. Uh, I wake up. I don't wake up on even numbers. I only wake up on odd numbers. So I wake up at 6:53, lay down till about like 7:30 to get up. Go to the bath and do all of that. Um, shower and all that takes about thirty minutes. Get out, dry myself off, you know, put the tidy whities on, then put my shorts. Then I brush my teeth, and then I go put my lotion on, and then I put my my t-shirt on, socks is last, and then shoes are right by the door.
0: Like what order do you put your clothes on after the shower?
2: Well, I like to get out, and then I like to get dry. And then I like to put lotion on my body, all over my body. And then I put my drawers on. And then if JC picks some clothes out for me, I'll, I'll put on my clothes.
4: JC picks out your clothes for you?
2: My my work clothes. It's pretty simple. I wear the same thing. You can't match. You can't dress yourself. You no, nice. it's
4: clothes.
2: It's, it's just a nicety that she does. It's a nicety. Sometimes <laughs> it's fifty-fifty. <50/50. laughs> No, I was gonna ask. It's fifty-fifty. All you gotta do is grab a work polo, and then basically all my pants match. Oh,
4: why can't you do that yourself? I your gym too. Yeah, my gym clothes too. She picks out your gym
2: clothes. Mhm. Oh, 60-40. You see what happens when you're the breadwinner?
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Malik said it, not me, Jay. <laughs> I didn't say that.
0: All righty. Well, this was a interesting fasc- fascination into the deep dive of our morning routines.
2: All right, let's, let's let's get into it.
0: All right, let's let's dive into it. It's time. All right. So we watched Bones. Did your opinion of Bones get any better? Oh, Malik, you yeah. liked Bones, did you? I, I
2: Yeah, I I like Bones. Nope. I still don't. don't. Don't remember the first
1: episode? I really don't remember this episode.
0: (laughs) Well, you didn't watch this episode.
1: They didn't need to know that, kids.
0: (laughs) It's okay, because then they'll know that we're having the same experience as they are of us.
3: Don't worry,
1: listeners. We will get better at describing the episode.
0: Also, no guarantees. No 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 guarantees also. Okay, so we watched Bones season 5 episode 6 Tough Man in the Tender Chicken. Again, my issue with Bones is that they're just these episodes are ridiculous. They're just absolutely ridiculous. Um Okay. So the woodchucks brought in a body, which is basically the Girl Scouts. I used to be a Girl Scout. I would not have... I was not taught what to do if I found a body. But I'm glad the woodchucks were. I did not get that badge.
2: You know what? How did they bring it in without... I feel like it would have fell apart. Like, how did they even pick it up?
0: We will go to a Girl Scout camp and find out. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, they're trained there to, to... pick up a dead body and process a crime scene again that is not what i learned at girl scout camp i don't remember what i learned at girl scout camp but i feel like i would have remembered if it was this is how you process a crime scene okay so they brought in the body not the police and then they let them stay they're like oh and do y'all want to see us do the autopsy and they were like yes and i was like i feel like you shouldn't allow 12-year-olds to watch an autopsy. But proceed. <laughs> also, they found a body in the, in the Savage River. Victim is a middle-aged man missing his fingertips, and apparently the body was filled with hydrogen sulfate, which apparently makes a body smell bad, which I already thought decomposition made a body smell bad
2: yeah I know that's what see that's what I thought and I was like it smells worse than what it normally smells like I thought, Did- I what I but then they said it smelled like fart is what they said it smelled like
0: you know what I do For- remember in college one lab experiment where It smelled bad. We were working with something that smelled really bad. I'm wondering now if it was hydrogen sulfate. But I remember the professor being like, y'all can go in the hallway if you need a break from the smell. And I was like, cool. Now I'm wondering if it was hydrogen sulfate. Okay. Oh, so they really are going with the government did it based on no evidence. At first, I thought it was a joke, like "ha ha," the government was maybe experimenting with him because they're doing hydrogen sulfate experiments, ha, ha ha. And then they were starting to take it seriously. Mhm. They
2: really came out of nowhere with it. I was like,
0: "Oh, yeah." I was like, oh, "This was a really unexpected turn right off the bat, with like nothing other than I heard a rumor essentially." <laughs> So I thought it was going to get all conspiracy theory-ish. This is absolutely ridiculous. The only thing that makes this picture look like a chicken is the pointy nose and that could be genetic. Okay, so they drew up what they thought the, the guy looked like with their like fancy machines and they're like oh my god he looks exactly like a chicken like did you think he looked like a chicken
2: he he just looked like a dude with a with a pointy nose
0: yes i
2: was
0: was like i see no resemblance to a chicken other than the fact that it had a he had a pointy nose
2: i don't even get how like at the end how they even get to him even looking like a chicken it really makes no sense.
0: No, it did not look like a chicken at all. Like, and they were convinced that the government, they were convinced that the government were doing experience, experiments to merge a human and a chicken to make a super soldier, which doesn't make sense because that's not even that great of an animal.
3: <laughs>
0: I was like, this is stupid. And then I said, yeah, stupid rejuvenate ju- rejuvenation. Because they were, like, what like what animal would you, like, want to be merged with? Like, what would be the best animal? And Bones was, like, well, a, a worm or something, something weird. And they're, like, why? And she was, like, well, rejuvenation, of course. And I was, like, yeah, stupid, rejuvenation. How did you not know that? How did you not know that was specific worm? The victim didn't drown, has a lot of scarring around his nose, and a parasite only found in chickens was found in him. There was a hit on the facial reconstruction picture, and it's... Oh, one minute... Let
2: me see on her notes.
0: And it's Nick Rabin, the head of personnel at Cluxton Farms. A chicken farm. Ooh. And then I was gonna say like maybe he spent so much time with the chickens that he started looking like them. Or I thought it was going to go weirder, like he really liked chickens, but they didn't go that far.
2: Yeah, you weren't trying to say he was banging the (laughs) chickens out.
0: Well, how else do you find parasites from a chicken and a man? I was going to make
1: a joke, but I'm not going to.
0: I'm going to go out on a limb and say that they were protesting killing chickens because they were like, why are these protesters at this chicken farm? I just they were yelling, don't kill the chickens. (laughs) So and holding signs don't saying don't kill the chickens. So I'm pretty sure they're protesting about killing chickens. Also, because why else do people protest those type of companies? It's always about the animals.
4: The Cluxton Farm accountant is Nick's wife. The hydrogen sulfide
0: deformed his nose and his wife thinks it was the protesters. Um, the
2: peaceful protesters outside.
0: Yeah, obviously they killed him. And I don't blame. Wasn't she saying like. Oh, no, that gets that's later. That's later. Okay, so it was like the hydrogen sulfide is why he had a pointy nose, not because the government was doing experiments on him and trying to cross him with a chicken to make a super shoulder. I know these like what we talk about must sound weird. And people listening that didn't watch the episode are going like chicken super soldiers it, but that's not us. That's the show. That's how weird yeah. the show is.
2: It just is weird. Can I don't know what you want to do about it.
4: Yeah.
0: Is she a recovery? Especially what?
2: Especially Bones.
0: Yes, Bones is the weirdest. It takes some like crazy turns, and then it's like just getting. It's not the government going doing chicken experiments, and it's like mm-hmm. yeah, we all knew that. Like why? Why would it be that? Okay, then I wrote, Is she a recovering sex addict addict? Are they dating? Is he saying he wants her to sleep with someone else first? Okay, when that one woman I don't I don't remember her name, but her name was
2: Angela, I remember very vividly because I was like, <laughs> Oh my, she's trying to get freaky at the office. Okay, like, so she
0: she walked into Hodgkin's office and she was like, Listen, I'm five months sex free, something like that. He's like, that's awesome. And she's like, yep, after six months, I can have sex again. Or my therapist says I can have sex again because I won't get too attached or something like that. And he's like, no, I'm not going to be the one to break your spell. And she was they had this like back and forth. He's like, someone else should do it. I don't want to be the reason. And I'm like, "Okay, are you dating? Like, what is what's the relationship here? And also, are you saying, essentially, you want her to sleep with someone else first so it's not you? Okay,
2: he's, he's got a strong will. I I would have volunteered his tribute.
0: But also, does this mean she was, like, a former sex addict? Like, what is... What's, what's the backstory? Why does she have to say celibate for so long?
4: Mm-hmm.
2: I don't know. She seemed like a former sex addict to me. She seemed real eager to get back into it.
0: Yeah. That was wild. <laughs> One of the pictures... Oh, my, not pictures, protesters. One of the protesters took video of the chicken farm, and him and Nick had beef. It was actually an insane man that got the footage. The victim was killed by someone wringing his neck. There was too many chicken windows here. Like, wringing of the neck. I was like... We could just, like, he could just die on a chicken farm and just die normally.
2: Every every time something happened, they're like, oh, it's it's a chicken thing. Why does it always have to be a chicken thing?
0: Yeah, it could just be enough that he worked on a chicken farm, died at a chicken farm. Everything else could have been normal. And we would have still got the picture that it was related to chickens. The inside man was Gainer Robin. Raven. The victim's wife. It was the victim's wife who took the video. And then I said, I knew she wasn't acting right when the police came and talked to her. Okay, I don't blame her, though, to be like, my husband, it was hurting my husband physically. He was getting sick. He wouldn't leave. I wanted to shut down so he'd be forced to leave. I don't blame her.
2: I don't blame her either. Probably not the way she could have went about it. But.
0: And then I wrote, is this a real fight? When Bones and Angela were going back and forth about Angela wanting her to help save a piglet for 1500 and Bones being like, no. And then her getting actually mad. And uh, I didn't feel like this would be something you fight about.
2: Yeah, that was kind of an annoying side story that was going on. I was like, I I really could care less about this pig and y'all's little friendship.
0: Yeah, and they were trying to make it deeper, and I was just like, I don't know, man. That's, like, a lot of money to ask someone to donate.
2: For a pig.
0: For a pig. I don't know.
2: I'm like, don't you work in, like, you know, the FBI crime scene lab? Do you not have $1,500? Just buy the pig and stop begging me. (laughs)
4: Um,
0: Then I wrote I don't know what my next two notes Really are talking about But I wrote that was rude Uh,
4: Who knows But
0: something
3: rude I I uh, think
0: Yeah I think it was something Yeah And then I wrote, absolutely disgusting to think about. Mm, Couldn't tell you. And then I wrote, why were Booth and Bones holding hands that long when they went out to, like, they were talking with that guy Sweets and they were at the diner and they were talking about how. Booth was, or, Bones was having this problem with Angela, and Bones got up to leave, and Booth grabbed her hand, and was like, it's gonna be okay, and they were still awkwardly holding hands for a really long time, and I was like, are y'all dating? What's going on?
2: So dramatic. The, all the psych stories, Yeah. two episodes, they're so dramatic.
0: And... And you have, like, no idea. I mean, the first episode we watched, she she did drop the bombshell. I'm pregnant with your baby. So that is fairly dramatic. That'd be dramatic in real life. But not, I'm not going to help you. I'm not going to pay $1,500 for you to save a pig. Feels like it shouldn't be dramatic. Nope. The fingers were removed postpartum with a clean-cut, possibly shears. Who is the sweets guy? Is he a psychologist? I have no idea what his role is. But Um. he basically had a therapy session with Bones.
2: Yeah, I thought he was a scientist at first, and then I guess he's their therapist, or, like, I don't
0: know. Like their Dr. Wong? Basically. I, yeah, because he was in that interrogation, so I didn't know if he was, like, Booth's partner. And was a police? I don't know. I, I think he's a Dr. Wong type. I mean, I can't blame her. If the job was harming my husband physically, I would also want it shut down. There you go. Okay, they just determined the killer had to work at Cluxton and then named the random baker. They were like, okay, it had to be someone that worked at Clus- Cluxton. And rang his neck, the video, this and that. And then they were like, okay, but what about a baker? It's like, well, didn't you just say like asked the wife if it had to be someone at Cluxton and she said yes? And then and then y'all were like, Or the baker down the road. Um and then I wrote, "Don't give her money stupid. oh shit, is that workplace appropriate?" <laughs> the, the blonde guy when Angela went up to that young intern Hodg- Hodkins intern oh, and showed him the right. picture of the pig and he was like, "No, he's I love yes and he was like, "No, I, I love animals like or I love to eat pig like everything about it I, I love to eat." And then he was like, okay, I'm sorry. I have $45. And I was like, don't give her money. That's stupid. That's not enough money. And, and mm-hmm. two, she's not going to get the rest of it. So now you're just out $45. And then they started to bang. And then it was like, I don't think you can do that at work.
2: Nope. <laughs> Definitely not with the with the blinds open.
0: I know. I was like, uh, she seems like she just wants to have sex. Mm-hmm.
2: That's and what then, I was saying. I was that first guy, man. Hey, got to do what you got to do. No one's going to be mad at you.
0: Well, then I was like, okay, so is she not dating Hodgkins? I mean, but that's essentially who she went to first for sex. And he ba- he didn't say no. He just said, I don't know. The whole thing was weird. So a cigar clipper was the tool used to clip his fingers. It was not, but let's keep going. Also, the baker has a point. Um, I think the point I am talking about is that um, he was saying that to have a good bakery, you have to smell the bread. And the chickens, he was downwind, so it smelled really bad, so no one could smell his breads or anything. But I guess he had like a good alibi or something that was like it wasn't me though. Right. And then I said, just it obvious that you sleep together. Why not? Usually, once you like sleep together in the workplace, you try to then avoid each other. But then they were like acting all in love.
2: Oh, well, they didn't hide it at all. No. Uh, your shoulders getting real nice and comfy.
0: Yeah, it it was weird. Because, like, even from a standpoint, y'all have sex once and then y'all are all over each other? That's not how that happens.
2: Maybe it happens that way for some people, you, I would think.
0: That sex must have been really good then.
2: Hey, man, maybe that young buck was putting it down.
0: How do you know it wasn't her that was putting it down?
2: That was, was gonna be the flip side. Maybe she she seems to be a sex addict, so maybe she she did things to him, and then <laughs> he fell in love.
0: He is an intern, so he's like younger. He probably yeah. did. He probably fell in love at that point.
2: So she's a seasoned veteran.
0: Yep. Taught him a few things, some new things.
2: Yep, and taught him a whole, showed him a whole new game.
0: Yeah, I'd never seen that before. <laughs>
2: Never seen that before. Oh,
3: that's that's different. (laughs) Oh, that's different.
0: He he just had the widest eyes of like, what? Mm.
2: So oh, I didn't know you could even do that.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Might have been the best like orgasm of his life. Fell in love. (laughs) It couldn't have been that long, right? It was at work. Had to be quick, anyways.
2: Yeah, I told you. She she flipped around one time. He said, "Oh, I didn't even know that was a thing," and that was all she wrote.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
4: (laughs) Okay. Uh. So some
0: weird machine hit his head. Okay. Then to even humiliate the intern. They made they painted the side of his head. And I was like, come on, man. He just not in front of the girl that just just blew his world. Literally. Yeah. (laughs) Gonna emulate him right after this. That um wasn't the cigar clippers, but now they think it's a cauterizing blade. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This took a turn. Nick Raven sexually assaulted an employee, and when she said something about it, they demoted her. And then I said, I really like this woman. I like her spunk. She was like, you know what? If I was going to kill him, his finger's not what I would cut off. And I was like, damn straight.
2: She's like, you can, throw, can you throw me in jail so I don't have to go to work for a few days? Like it was a vacation I was like, all that. Right.
0: I know, I was like, she does not give a shit. So, I'm pretty sure she did not kill him. <laughs> so, it was an accident? Man, this this is actually sad. Like, I feel for this guy. Okay, because then they were like, well, it was the security guard, and he was talking about how his wife was pregnant, and she lost the baby because of, like... The chemical, like, in the chicken farm was, like, making her sick, so they had to move. So he had to travel, like, 68 miles a day for work. And so he just wanted, like, money for gas to get repaid.
3: Yeah.
0: And the guy wouldn't give it to him. And so he was, like, I didn't mean to hurt him. like, we just got, I got so mad, and I pushed him, and he fell, and I tried to protect him. So... That's how his hand got hurt by the chicken neck wringing machine. And that guy died and he felt really bad because that's not. And I believed him. I was like, this sounds, this just sounds like an accident. Like, I, I do feel for this guy. I'm sure he didn't mean to kill his boss. He, what he was asking for didn't seem like that big of a deal. <laughs> And then I said, oh, maybe not. But man, he should have got a gas allowance. (laughs) Because then it turns out, no, he held that guy's head there. He 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 intentionally killed him. And then I wrote, why is Booth taking this so personally? Okay, because then, like, they solved the case. It was the security guard. It wasn't an accident. Held his head in there. Intended for him to die. Booth, though, believed him believe the story i believed and then they all went to the bar to celebrate but he took it so personally that he didn't realize the guy was lying and i was like why i mean he's like i can always tell and i was like well first off i feel like you can't but since you're a fictional character i guess you can mm-hmm. and yeah and, art. Yeah, yeah and bones had to give him this real serious pep talk and I was like, it's really not that, like, I I don't know why this is a big deal.
2: Yeah. And then he gets his confidence back when he notices the guy caressing Angela's arm.
0: Oh, yeah, that was my next comment. They slept together one time. You do not act like a freaking couple after having a little quickie at work like that. You have to go through that whole awkward stage of, like, uh we slept together i don't know what this means i don't know what you think this means i'm gonna avoid you so we don't have to talk about it until we actually have to talk about it but no they just immediately started acting like a couple Mm -hmm. also where's hodgkins is are they a thing or not a thing in conclusion we are two episodes into bones and i still don't know what kind of relationship bones and booth have I'm now on a mission to figure out how many episodes it takes me to figure out if they are dating, want to date, brother and sister. I don't know. Not
2: brother (laughs) and sister.
0: Just (laughs) sleeping together? (laughs) Who knows? I don't for sure. No. Do they get married by the end of it? I don't know. Are they just best friends? Awkwardly like that?
2: I hope not, brother and sister.
0: No, I guess you did say I'm having your baby, so <laughs> mm. that'd be real weird. What a turd. I guess also because their last names are both Booth and Bones. However, they are very specific nouns that start with Bs.
2: You know, so her last name is Bones, because is, I swear they he keep calling her Dr. Brennan or something or is her nickname Bones?
0: Oh, maybe. Yeah, because she has a real weird first name, doesn't she? They like introduced yeah, like her as Prince. Temperance. Is it Temperance?
2: Yeah, I think it's not, it's like Temperance Brennan. But I guess they just call her Bones. So I thought her name was Bones this whole time. That's I thought that was the whole point of the the show being called Bones. And then they
0: said Dr. Temperance. Yeah, it's Dr. Temperance. Brennan, so it just must be her nickname. Wow, I've learned so much already. Also, Booth's name is Seely Booth. What are these names? They said we're gonna give him the most awkward names. Hey, is what? Bones related to Zoe Deschanel?
2: So who? I don't know who Zoe Deschanel is. I know Zoe.
0: No. Um. What's her name from? A uh, new girl. I've never seen New Girl.
2: The main character? Yeah. Oh, that's who that is.
0: They have the same last name. They kind of look alike.
3: Mm-hmm. I just made
0: an awesome discovery. She was also in Five Hundred Days of Summer. I haven't seen that. I think they're related. They look awful a lot alike. And they have the same last name. How oh, did I never put this together? Stop the presses. Okay, one minute. Yes, yeah, she owns a duplex and lives with her sister, Zoe Deschanel.
4: What?
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. Learn something new every day. You should look them up. They do look a lot alike. Okay. Are you ready for this week's story?
2: Been ready. Give it to us.
0: The mysterious, not so mysterious case of activist Karen Silkwood. No, I don't care. Mm Mm-hmm. We like this, Karen. This is a good Karen. Was a 1984 movie starring Meryl Streep and it's called Silkwood and it's about this story. Karen Silkwood was born in Longview, Texas on February nineteenth, nineteen forty-six. Not much is known about her life before before Kerr McGee. We do know that up until nineteen seventy two Karen was a housewife with three kids and seven years of marriage under her belt. But before this, she was in college studying science before dropping out, you know, to be a wife and a mother. So in 1972, when the divorce happened, Karen moved to the big city of Oklahoma City and started working for Kerr-McGee as a laboratory analyst at the Crescent, Oklahoma site. Kerr-McGee was a billion-dollar company and leader in the nuclear industry. Robert Kerr was the founder of the company and was also the governor of Oklahoma that ran for president in 1952 and died as one of the most powerful men in Senate at the time. I picked this one because of the timely manner of Oppenheimer.
2: Oppenheimer?
0: Yeah. What? I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it either, but, you know, it talks about nuclear the nuclear industry. This is about a nuclear industry company. So I was like, feels timely with Oppenheimer coming out. Feels like we're talking a lot about nuclear power and energy lately. Dean McGee took over the company next and also was a advisor to both President Kennedy and President Ford. So you know like these are some powerful founders. Not your average Joes. In 1951, Kerr-McGee became the largest distributor of uranium when they decided nuclear power would be more profitable than plutonium. Or, no, my bad. Petroleum. So they were oil. And then they're like, let's get in this new game. There's a lot going on here. A lot of money. In the 70s, however, they turned their attention to plutonium, a rare radioactive chemical element stronger than uranium. Plutonium was a major player in the Manhattan Project. When exposed, plutonium accumulates in bone marrow and it causes radiation poisoning. It's more dangerous when inhaled versus ingested. So, you know, be careful with plutonium.
2: So you can eat it and it's safer than inhaling it?
0: Yeah, but either way, you're getting radiation poisoning. So maybe just, like, don't don't touch it.
2: I was trying to say, I, I can take a little radiation if I can get powers out of it.
0: No, 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 no. I don't think that's what happens. <laughs> so this is where Karen decided to work. And shortly after starting, she met Drew Stevens. And the pair became quite smitten with each other. Stephen convinced Karen to join the Oil, Chemical, and Atomic Workers Union. Or, as I will call it, the A C A W. my bad, O C A W U. I I will probably also just call it the Union because it's way too much. And we are learning a lot about unions on this podcast.
2: It's the start of all killings.
0: Yeah, we talked. What was the other case we covered about with a union involved? Oh, Tara. Uh, uh, what's her name? Susan Tara's, Tara. Was- oh, Tara Ross, Yeah, was- the one
3: right for Robert Durst.
0: Yeah, the- yeah the, she worked at the airport. Mhm. And the union didn't protect her. This union's much better. This this union was not happy. Okay, just just three short months later, the union went on strike to fight fight for better wages and safer working conditions. And through this, Karen found a passion to fight for injustice, justices experienced by Kerr employees. In 1974, Karen was elected to the bargaining committee where she investigated the health and safety regulations at the company. Uh, she was um, elected to the bargaining committee of the union. As her colleagues praised her honesty and openness, about the hazardous working conditions, so much so that she was asked and did testify to the Union officials and U.S. Atomic Energy Commission in Washington, D.C., about the unsafe, sloppy working conditions at Kerr-McGee, including faulty equipment, improper sample storage, and large number of contaminations. So in my research, it sounded like employees were just being contaminated left and right with plutonium.
2: I feel like you should know that's. I feel like that's going to probably happen if you choose to work with it. I mean, you, was, you would assume they try and keep you safe, but I don't know. It's a dangerous game you're going into.
0: It is a dangerous industry, but as someone that works in pharmaceuticals at a manufacturing site where there is chemicals that you know could hurt you there is a lot of safety precautions i mean no one is contain i mean no one has been contaminated at my site you know it's it's mm-hmm. it's not common because there should be there should be things put in place to protect you so i think while yes you wouldn't when working with nuclear energy it wouldn't imp- You would maybe think that it's bound to happen, that someone is going to be contaminated, but your company should protect you enough where it's not all the freaking time like it is. It shouldn't be happening this much. And just like that, Karen's just like Karen's co-worker, Steve Woodka was inspired by Karen's testimony. He was a health expert for the union and for like the un- the national union. Like in wa- he worked in Washington D.C. and he approached Karen with op- an opportunity to expose Kerr McGee's practices. All she had to do was collect Kerr McGee documents that supported her claims. That her and her claims were that Kerr McGee were tampering or. Covering up quality control data to hide that their plutonium fuel rods had hairline cracks and failed to disclose all the health risks of plutonium, including death. So, essentially, what she's saying is that A, they told all the employees basically you can't die and it's not and a little bit of plutonium is not that big of a deal and didn't disclose all of the risks. And two, was that okay, so they put plutonium into these rods. And that these rods were cracked, which then releases the plutonium or could release, put more people at effect. That's uh, that's a problem. So they were covering up their data to not allow this to be seen.
3: Pretty interesting.
0: Karen was nervous, but she believed in the cause and agreed to it. She worked quietly for the next two months, finding anything and everything she could that proved Kerr McGee was knowingly putting employees at unnecessary risks. However, on November 5th, 1974, after working in a glove box polishing pieces of plutonium, she monitored herself and found her right sleeve and shoulder had been contaminated with plutonium. She went directly to the plant's health physics office to decontaminate and give more samples the gloves she had been working with were tested okay so when you go into a glove okay a glove box is this like essentially not like essentially like a glass box type thing or a plastic, not plastic but some type of like see clear material see-through and then there's these gloves that are attached to it and you just slip your hands to them and then you can manipulate the things in that box without risking contamination exposure or like to yourself or to the product in the box getting it contaminated so does that make sense
2: yeah i'm learning learning something new today
0: okay so she was working in that so they which really it's like okay you shouldn't have been exposed because everything's like sealed up, the gloves and everything. Um, so they tested the gloves that she had slipped her hands to and um, she had been working with were tested and the part that contacts Karen's hands tested positive. So her so the inside of the gloves tested positive but there were no leaks and plutonium was not found anywhere else in the room. So the The only way that that could have happened was with there was a tear in the gloves and they couldn't find anything
4: or.
2: Someone put it there.
0: Maybe. She went directly to to the plan. I already said that the very next day after finishing up paperwork before the. Union meeting that night, Karen monitored herself again, and before leaving before leaving the lab, this time, her hand, right forearm, right side of her neck, and face tested positive. She was just doing paperwork this time. She was again decontaminated and, and starting to grow suspicious, Karen asked a technician to test her locker and car, and they both tested negative. Cautious but not deterred, Karen returned to work. And the next day, which is now November 7th, she went straight to the health physics office to go through testing again as part of the company's program. Again, the nasal swab came back positive, as did the urine and fecal samples she had been collecting. This time, the technicians went to Karen's apartment to see if she had been contaminated there. The technicians carefully and very meticulously tested her whole apartment, finding that in her bathroom, her toilets in her bathroom, her toilet seat, floor mat, and the floor tested po- positive in her bedroom. her pillowcase and bed sheets tested positive, then lastly, her kitchen cabinet, her kitchen cabinet tops, floor stove sides. A package of chicken and a package of bologna and cheese in the refrigerator tested positive. With such high results, there was great concern. So Karen, Drew Stevens, and her roommate were shipped to the Los Alamos Scientific Laboratory at the Center for Nuclear Research for more extensive testing. Fairly high concentrations of plutonium was found in her lungs. But doctors reassured her that the levels were not high enough for irreparable damage, but essentially she had a concern that she there's a high chance that with this much radiation she'd get cancer. Mm. just as determined, Karen returned to work in Crescent after she was decontaminated in Los Alamos and sent home. This time, she was reassigned. And completed her work day without incident. After work, she attended a union meeting in Crescent. And then packed up all the files that she had collected on Kerr McGee into a manila folder. Which uh, witnesses at the union meeting saw her with. Saw her with this big manila folder full of files. And headed to Oklahoma City. Where she was meeting Steve Woodka, and New York, and a New York Times reporter to finally expose the biggest secret yet about Kerr McGee. On that night, no- 10, November 13th, 1974, the police received a call about a one-car accident on Highway 74. When the first petroleum—my bad—when the first patrolman arrived on scene. He found that a Honda Civic hatchback smashed into a concrete culvert wall after going off the road. He found documents scattered everywhere so that the, of- so the officer picked them up and placed them in the trunk of the car. The driver, 28-year-old Karen Silkwood, was dead on impact. It was ruled an accident, with the police chalking it up to a drowsy driver. Quaaludes were found in Karen's system and a little bit of alcohol, although Karen had been taking Quaaludes for months, as prescribed by a doctor, concerned for the amount of stress she was under. Karen's friends and family didn't believe it. The timing was too perfect. Kerr McGee knew Karen was about to blow the whistle, So they tried to scare her by poisoning her with plutonium. And when that didn't work, they silenced her for good. They just had to prove it.
4: Thoughts so far?
2: Poor Karen. Poor, poor Karen. That's a lot of plutonium. That's what? That sucks. That sucks. Have all that plutonium plutonium in you, in your body.
4: Yeah. And around
2: you. Mm hmm. And I know you're probably going to die.
4: Yep.
0: Yep. Yep. It is sad. Drew, Drew, Steve and the New York Times reporter went to pick up Karen's car the next day after the crash, only only to discover the manila folder and all files were gone. The union had the union hired an auto accident specialist from New Mexico to come investigate. He found a new dent in the car's rear bumper, inconsistencies in the highway bend, and skid marks. In a more in more detail, he found Karen had skidded to the left sharply, straightened her wheel, driving on the shoulder without trying to return to the highway until she saw the culvert and drastically turned the wheel. According to him, a drifting car would have ran into a field before the culvert, and the highway center line would have caused the car to drift to the right and not the left. He concluded that Karen didn't fall asleep, but someone ran her off the road.
4: Hmm.
0: What do you think?
2: Set up. they killed her man they killed her
0: oh just wait this goes all the way to the top
4: the Ker- McGee was doing-
2: guy who leads the company what I said yeah that guy you just said he killed her
4: who
3: what's his name Ker- McGee.
0: that's the name or- of the company
2: or just Kerr, one of the guys.
0: Oh, okay. So Robert Kerr was the founder of, of Kerr McGee, but he had already died by this point. So Dean McGee was was in charge. Was the owner of the company.
3: Okay.
0: Kerr McGee is the name of the whole thing. Okay. <laughs> Kerr McGee was doing everything they could to keep the workers from striking. Rallying around Karen's case, cause, they claimed in the weeks leading up to her death, Karen had poisoned herself with plutonium. But failing to give a reason why she would do such a thing, they also tried to dig up information on the accident specialist. They wouldn't be like, look, this guy, here he's an alcoholic, can't trust what he says. Couldn't find anything, though. After the New York Times released the accident specialist's theory that Karen had been ran off the road, the FBI assigned Larry Olson to the case. Larry was a 15-year-old FBI veteran, an Oklahoma native, and an FBI liaison for Kerr-McGee. Larry was known by his colleagues to have more of an interest for salacious cases. And boy, did he have one on his hands. Wary's an interesting guy. He takes his uh, investigation. and It takes him a while to draw what everyone is thinking. Because what are you thinking, Malik? What is your, what do you think happened?
4: Hmm.
2: Well, I'm pretty sure they killed her. That's number one. Now, who killed her? I don't know yet. But also saying that she poisoned herself with plutonium—that's stupid. Who does who gives themselves cancer if they're going to kill themselves?
0: Yeah, like they were. I guess they were trying to say like she poisoned. I get, We'll get to it. But yeah, it takes it takes Larry a little while to get there. Um, Larry started with the facts. Alcohol and quaaludes were found in her system, so he tried to track down the source of the alcohol to no avail. It didn't matter. Anyway, Karen was well below the legal limit for any amount to fall asleep while driving. Basically, experts chalked it up with she probably had like she's going to this union meeting and then she was meeting with this New York Times reporter. She was probably a little nervous, probably like had a glass of wine, a drink or something. Kind of just calm the nerves, but not she was not drunk by any means. Basically, one drink. Larry turned to the quaaludes at the time of her death. At the time of her death point three five I don't know why I said that. thirty five milligrams of methaqualone was found in her system. Less than half a pill. Was that enough to make her so drowsy she falls asleep behind the will? Karen's friend said no. Karen was only prescribed the pills to help her sleep at night but she also took some during the day. The Oklahoma City Medical Examiner disagreed and said that would be enough. Later on, eight different toxicologists at different occasions disagreed. They believed Karen had built up an intolerance with her regular use. You know whose opinion Larry decided to go with? Go ahead,
2: enlighten us.
0: The OKC medical examiner was probably right. Karen was drowsy from the pill. I said pills, but it was half a pill. And fell asleep behind the wheel. As clear as day.
3: Hmm. Interesting. Half but a pill.
2: It,
0: yeah, half a pill and one drink of alcohol. Made her yeah, fall. even
2: though she drinks the pills all the time, regularly.
0: And not in the fact that she was a druggie, but she just one at night one in the morning
2: yeah regular prescription no, yeah
0: no, no yeah
4: but a new salacious detail caught larry's attention how did plutonium get into karen's apartment and talking with larry McGee explained they
0: said look buddy Karen was a crazy activist, willing to win the fight any means necessary. She tainted herself and the stolen urine samples just to try to show the company wasn't safe. She was doing it to make a point, trying to make us look bad, trying to embarrass us.
4: (laughs) However, Larry was suspicious of the story. Of
0: course he was.
2: And she just took plutonium home with her, huh? Um, yeah,
0: she was like, I'm going to get them by, by poisoning myself. <laughs> it wasn't uncommon for employees to be contaminated. So why would this one start a revolt or be embarrassing? It was happening all the time. I,
2: was, I feel like you just told on yourself. It's by saying it's uncommon. It's not uncommon for employees to get contaminated. I think like, it should be uncommon.
0: It yeah.
2: Uncommon.
0: Yeah. So Larry, at, okay. So when Larry first started the case, it felt like he was on Kerr McGee's side. Like, okay, they're. I need to find something to prove what they're telling me, and not investigate what is happening. But he, this was about the time where he was like, I don't know, they might be up to something. Karen's friends also told Olsen, who's Larry, I wrote Olsen and Larry. Karen's friends told Larry that she was really concerned about getting cancer after plutonium was found in her intestines. This doesn't sound like someone who would intentionally poison herself. At the same time, NPR released a story about how 40 pounds of plutonium had gone missing from the Kerr-McGee facility. The New York Times reporter Karen was supposed to meet that fatal night reported 60 pounds corroborated by an inside source missing a lot of plutonium. To put this in perspective, 12 pounds of plutonium in a bomb can take out a mid-sized city. And on the black market, 60 pounds would cost five to 10 million. I bad. Yeah, so what if 12 pounds took out a mid sized city and they had 60 pounds? That's five bombs that were essentially missing. I'm
2: going to have to get a hold of some plutonium and sell it <laughs> so I can get rich.
0: The story gets crazy. We're about to get into some conspiracies.
3: I like conspiracies.
0: Kurt McGee hinted to Larry that there was plutonium missing, but did not confirm the quantity. Basically, Larry heard this and he went to Kurt McGee and he's like, "Hey, hey, do you, is this true? Are you are you missing pl- some plutonium?" And they're like, uh-huh, "Yeah, uh, you know," and walked away. <laughs> That's how that interact. I'm sure that interaction went. Mm-hmm, sure went just like that. Yeah. So Larry developed a new theory. What do you think his new theory would be? What would your theory be if you had all these facts? Missing plutonium? Karen meeting with a reporter?
2: Hmm. They tried to shut her up within the... How do you infect someone with plutonium how do you contaminate someone with plutonium on purpose you just rub it on how do you how do you do that
0: well they essentially i mean it was in her food and all of her apartment so she was getting contaminated contaminated every time she touched one of those surfaces
2: so do they just sprinkle it around the house or how do they, how do they what does plutonium even look like <laughs> uh that's, that's,
0: i i i'm sure it can come in many different ways. I don't I don't know for sure.
2: Don't worry. I'll figure it out.
0: Okay. So your theory is that Kurt My theory at this point would be that maybe Karen found out about the missing Plutonia. Maybe that's what she was going to tell the New York Times and they killed her to stop it. This is what Larry's new theory is. Given that plutonium was missing and Karen was poisoned with Kermagema plutonium, Larry said she must have stolen the plutonium. Hmm.
2: But, but. So she infected herself.
1: With, with her food and all that. Yeah, you and You think her, she would just say F it and chug that thing?
2: Like, it's, it's. Okay, I found out it's like it's a piece of metal, is what it is. Or it looks like a little piece of metal.
0: Okay. I
3: begins, but,
0: oh. See, I I I that's not the natural form though. That's what they put it in, I think.
3: Is it oh, not?
2: Well when they it says that wait, hold on. That's not yeah, how, it says that, it says it's a radioactive metal.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. I don't know. Maybe yeah. they I don't know would they melt it down?
2: No, that's just what it looks like because even yeah, they all look like it just looks like a great piece of metal. But
1: how does she not notice it in her food?
2: I guess maybe they grind it up.
1: Yeah, yeah, I don't
2: know. But I, I feel like metal? if it's like radioactive, if you grind it up, I feel like that's oh, how all the boom. toxins get out. Or oh, maybe it's not it's not like uh, I don't know. I'm not a science person. Yeah, I
0: don't know. Okay, can we just she was getting the M&A with plutonium, we don't know how like
2: I don't know if they ground it up like salt and sprinkled it in her. I don't know. If but y'all are
1: scientists out there, please let us
0: know. Yeah. Larry sent FBI headquarters a new request to investigate the missing plutonium. He said, "I know who did it and I need permission to investigate Karen Silkwood for it." Headquarters immediately shut him down, saying the missing plutonium was not part of his Silkwood investigation. Quote. The FBI is conducting an investigation to determine if Sook Wood's death was accidental. The investigation does not include positive, possible suspects or motives, end quote. Which I would disagree with that statement because I, I would assume if you were trying to prove if it's accidental or not, you would want to investigate if there was any motive for suspects who would maybe cause the non-accidental death.
2: <laughs> do those two things not go hand in hand?
0: Uh, yeah, not according to the FBI, but we'll get into why they were keeping this on the they, deal.
2: They, they got a part of it.
0: Larry was not happy. He stewed and stewed on it. He just knew he was onto to something and he just needed evidence. It was Garen Silkwood. That was until an informant told him Kerr McGee was now missing 120 pounds of this. And as this was after Karen, and this was after Karen died. So Larry got to thinking, and he decided his theory was off. Karen didn't steal the plutonium; the higher ups at kern Key were stealing it, and poisoned her to become because she found out about it and was gonna tell the New York Times. Yes, Larry, I'm glad you finally got there. Maybe it took a little too long, but yes. <laughs>
2: at old Larry. He's smart. He's smart. <laughs> he just, he's slow at the same time. Um.
0: So basically, he thought there was like a plutonium smuggling operation at Kermagee. Like an inside smuggling operation. Larry typed up his report with his new findings and sent it to headquarters, but before they got through all of the files, the F- all 11 files, the FBI released a fact memorandum. A fact memorandum is basically where one of the desk guys goes through all the evidence and comes to a verdict. He is judge trial. What is it? Judge, jury and executioner. Judge
3: except, executioner.
0: Yeah. Except for the fact memorandum, the desk guy. for Except for this fact memorandum, the desk guy only went through the accident specialist report and not Larry's investigation. This desk guy argued that the reason the car drifted to the left is because a big gust of wind pushed it that way. This wind would have to be 60 to 70 miles per hour. He didn't care to look into, like, the National Weather Service to see if it was windy that day. But if he did, he would have seen that it was only 50 miles per hour wind. There was just a slight windy day. No big gust. But that didn't matter. Sure, it was just a big guess that blew the car all the way to the left. He also argued that the dent on the back bumper happened after Karen's death when the car was in Drew Stevens' possession. Usually fact memorandums are a 100 pages long, but this one was a mere four and a half and concluded that there was no foul play in Karen's death. And in the FBI's eyes, the was the finale of the Karen Suckwood saga. The case was closed.
4: That's Thoughts?
3: It?
0: For the FBI?
2: Oh, I was like, that's, that's, that's it?
0: That was until a law student named Kitty Tucker read about Karen's case in the Washington Post, and she was more than enthralled with the case, but grew more and more connected to it the more she read about it. She was outraged. A woman not afraid to do the right thing and stand up for justice for her and her fellow co-workers had clearly been murdered and no one was doing anything about it. So, Kitty just happened to be a legislative coordinator for the D.C. chapter of the National Organization of Women, or now, and she drew the rest of the organization's attention to Karen's story as well. On August 26, 1975, Kitty, the president of NOW, and another NOW official went to the FBI and demanded answers to why Karen's place was closed. The FBI just reiterated that was in the fact, what was in the fact memorandum, but it wasn't answering the women's questions. So, starting to feel the pressure, the FBI told told the women they watched too much TV and dismissed them. Probably telling them they watch too much Law and Order. Don't we all? Mm -hmm. Angry the women did what anyone does when the government doesn't listen to reason or logic. What is that?
2: Protest.
0: They went to the media and they called the fact memorandum a cover up. And they decided then and there they would force a congressional investigation by getting the public involved. Kitty decided to call Karen's parents and invite them to a NOW convention. Karen's parents were folks that lived a simple life and was unaware of what Karen had been up to before she died. After reading the accident specialist report, they put their faith in the FBI to solve Karen's murder. But of course they were let down. So when Kitty invited them to the convention, they went and they continued to speak and be a part of NOW's movement to reopen Karen's case. And it worked. One year after Karen's death, the media was starting to recirculate the story and the public was starting to call for the government to do something, which worked even more. On November 18th, the Silkwoods, Kitty, and NOW officials met with Senator Abraham Ribercalf and Lee Metcalf and presented a petition of eight. 8,500 signatures. Impressed, the two senators agreed to reopen the case, and this time Metcalf and his investigators would leave, lead the investigation. After five months, the hearings were set to start until Metcalf pulled the plug on the whole thing. Metcalf said that Dean McGee came to him saying that the OCAW union, the one that Karen was a part of, now agreed the fact mem- now agreed with the fact memorandum. The AC the union denied this, but it didn't stop Metcalf from turning back on his promises. However, the investi- the investigators Metcalf had assigned found a lot of suspicious behavior within different government groups and Ker McGee. They wanted the hearings to proceed, so they bypassed Metcalf and went to Congressman John Dingell. Dingle. D I N G E L L. You would pronounce that Dingle, right? Ding, din, dingle? Dingle? I
3: guess.
0: dingle. I, okay. John Dingle. <laughs> to take on the burden of Metcalf's unfulfilled promises, and he agreed. For months, Dingle demanded that the FBI and Justice Department answer obvious questions and provide all of their evidence. Mostly, Dingle wanted them to explain why they were being so secretive, reserved and downright shady. His exact words. It wasn't. Those are not his exact words. Those are my words that I assumed Mm -hmm. he was thinking. Basically, the FBI wouldn't let Larry Olson talk to anyone about his investigation. I mean, everyone was kind of like, how did you draw? We want to talk to Larry. And the FBI was like, no, you can't talk to Larry. But the FBI delayed and the Justice Department delayed until six months later, the House Democratic Caucus voted to strip Dingle from the subcommittee, meaning there would be no congressional hearing unless another congressman were to take the helm. What do you think happened?
3: What do you think happened, no, I don't
4: know.
2: We don't know, man. We don't know. We told you how we feel about these random questions.
0: No one stepped up.
2: Okay, thank <laughs> you. No need one's. To list these questions.
0: No, I'll I'll start typing up. A, I'm going to ask you this question at some point.
1: Yeah, I don't like pop quizzes, man. <laughs> I, I, really, I, I passed. I, I graduated. I'm going to take more tests.
0: <laughs> yeah, no one took the helm. Everyone was like, yeah, I'm good. This, this sounds like a lot of trouble. Bill Silkwood, Karen's father, sued Kerr McGee on behalf of Karen's three kids she left behind. The scope of the trial is just the physical harm Karen of Karen being contaminated and her prop and her property. I feel at first Bill one Karen's estate was awarded $5,000 for property damage, $500,000 for Karen's personal injuries and $10 million in punitive damages, which I learned that punitive damages are payments to punish the defendant. So basically kind of like a fine that goes to the victim. It's important in this, but also I I didn't know. Okay. Of course, of course, Kerr McGee appealed, saying the workers' compensation should cover the personal injury, and the Court of Appeals agreed and reversed the personal injury award. But as for punitive damages, the Court of Appeals basically said punitive damages are used to prevent the offense from happening again. So basically, like, okay, if we we can't charge them in, like, the court of law legally, this is civil court. So to deter anyone else from doing anything like this, we'll give them this huge fine and everyone will be like, yeah, I don't want to pay $10 million, so I'm not going to do this. Um, And the Court of Appeals basically said, um, yeah, so the thing that we're trying to prevent from happening again. Yeah, that offense was nuclear safety. And that's like the federal government's area of expertise. So you're going to have to go talk to them on that. We're not going to rule on the punitive damages. Um, That's what's what's said in the report. Quoted from the report. true. Good stuff. Good stuff. It wasn't. I made that part up, kind of. Or that was my Why? summary. That was that was my summary of what the report said. The U.S. Supreme Court sent it back down and said, "Let a jury decide if Kerr McGee's procedures provided reasonable care." Basically, they were arguing that Kerr McGee did not provide enough protection of their employees in their safety procedures, therefore, $10 million in punitive damages. The Court of Appeals said go talk to the federal government. Now the federal government is like, mm, let, let a jury decide if these are reasonable things or not. Um, reasonable care in handling and producing of plutonium. However, before it got to the to this point of another trial, Kerr McGee settled with Karen's estate for $1.38 million. And it's kind of fascinating because I read this in like a, a public health and law journal and they ended their discussion of this like court case with basically saying, but can we rely on the average person to determine if nuclear safety procedures are reasonable or not. And I don't know, that kind of makes sense to me, because working at a pharmaceutical company, it has taken me a lot of effort to figure out, like, understanding, like, our procedures and understanding the risks of everything. So that's the other thing is, would an average person be able to hear this procedure and understand that If it covers all the risks that could ever happen. And I don't know if it's fair to ask the average person that not because the average person is dumb, but because you don't just know nuclear
4: safety. True. And
0: that is the story of the brave whistleblower, Karen Silkwood.
2: All right, Peter, Karen.
0: I told you this was a good Karen.
2: The only good Karen in history. Yeah.
4: So, what do you think happened?
2: I'm still trying to figure out how they ground up the plutonium mm-hmm. and spread it over her food. I know that's what they did, man. I'm going to find it.
0: So, do you think Kurt McGee kill, had she her killed?
2: killed? Oh, she yeah. I killed. think they had her killed. Yeah. For sure.
1: It looked like a duck. Sound like a
0: duck can.
2: It was by the, the higher-ups, though, the untouchables. Mm-hmm. They, they hired
0: didn't. someone. Mm-hmm. They got the
2: money. They can, like we talked about during Robert Durst, you can afford whatever whatever that quote was about affording justice or something. Yeah. That's that's
0: them. Well, also, okay, here's the other part of this. I'm not convinced, necessarily, that the Kermakee officials, I don't know. Do you think they were stealing their own plutonium or were they um, just trying to cover up not to make it look bad? Like realize that there was some missing and just trying to cover it up or were they stealing it themselves?
2: I think they were using it to make it look like it is as like a cover up. They but they still- weren't.
0: They wouldn't have used 120 pounds to make it look like poison her
2: True, or or would they if you got the money if you're willing to just take the hit
0: well i, mean, I think they- i think one they either stole it and were selling it to somewhere overseas for the black market because they were making more money or they weren't the ones stealing it and now they were just trying to cover up to not make it look bad
2: that makes sense too
0: and I go back and forth because I don't know, like, I don't if you don't want to believe that those higher ups would go that far as to sell it on the black market. But also an article had pointed out that this was such a secure facility that someone would not be able to steal that much plutonium without someone knowing. hmm. Unless the higher ups were involved and knew it and were letting it happen.
2: Oh, it's definitely an inside job.
3: With that.
4: Yeah. But yeah. But then that,
1: it just adds up too quickly, man. That's that's my thing.
0: But then you have the <laughs> FBI. That. What are their reasonings for covering it up? Are they trying to? are they covering it up so that there's not like they don't send the nation into a panic or are they part of the smuggling
2: i was saying maybe oh, maybe, the maybe yeah
1: they're part of the smuggling what learning, behind every big cartel the government is behind it
2: i've learned that too it's, from tv it's, shows it's, it's, they get yes. their cut from TV shows, conspiracies. It's
1: everything. The U.S. is behind everything that goes on in the drug world.
2: It's all in a ploy to take down the cartels, because it's kind of like you know they have like operatives within the cartel that make their way up. Yeah. But they never actually take down the cartel. Right. So they they call they call shots from within the cartel.
0: Yeah. I mean, it would yeah. make sense why why the FBI didn't want Larry to investigate the actual smuggling. Because
1: mm-hmm. they probably were looking into it and then the higher-ups who were like, in charge of it, of that, like, bigger like behind it, told them not
2: to. Like, hey... Yeah, because
0: is- they knew. I mean, they knew who was doing it and they didn't want Larry yeah. to find out.
1: The CIA
2: came in. Yeah, this is a part of okay. something bigger, though.
0: So. Okay. There was... I didn't put this in here one because it was like... There's a really good, like, Rolling Stones article that goes into, like, in-depth in this whole cover-up thing. I didn't put all of it because it was, like, way too much information and I was trying to condense and it didn't really have anything to do with Karen's case. But essentially, the Rolling Stones was like, basically, this all comes down to the CIA and the CIA sold it to Israel. And there's a whole history of the CIA doing this with Israel.
1: Mm-hmm. The CIA is behind it, man.
0: So that's what the Rolling Stones theorized, too, was that it was the CIA and they sold it overseas.
1: And, hey, like they say, the one person's life compared to
2: millions Mm -hmm. is not
1: going to hurt.
0: Okay, but Karen she didn't deserve to die. I mean. No, she didn't. She
2: didn't, but it it all plays into the bigger picture.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
3: That's the reasoning behind it, yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, okay, so, um, similarities and differences between the Bones episodes, <laughs> the episode.
1: Good question.
2: The similarities, in, well, for one, it's, they turn into, like, a whole government conspiracy versus just a little chicken, chicken conspiracy, like, this, like, the, the government's going down, man, more than just, we might not get our eggs anymore, I don't know definitely yeah. a larger scale thing it's not just like a i guess Save that the chickens. small. yeah i don't know man bones is just it
1: doesn't appeal to
0: me it doesn't appeal to me as much yeah i mean basically there was a whistleblower in the bones episode the guy's wife was like look we're hurting the chickens and um the staff at the chicken place was being harmed by workplace conditions which as well were the Kermegy employees and yeah that's basically it that those were my that's that's how i got the
3: there big
0: yeah um but Uh, Yeah, so I probably could have found like an actual like food industry conspiracy company doing bad things because, you know, all major companies are probably doing things that they shouldn't be doing. Uh, But with Oppenheimer just coming out, I wanted to do this case because I'm like, well, that's a big nuclear talk is in the is in the media right now. And because it's so fast, Isn't it fascinating that these things seem like big parts of American history that we just don't know about?
2: That is true. Because they don't want us to know, man. No, they never do.
0: Except there was a whole 1984 movie about this case. Mm
2: -hmm. But we never heard of it.
0: Starring Meryl Streep, who's one of the biggest actresses.
2: Yeah.
0: But she was brave. I mean, they... If the first time I thought I got poisoned and was suspicious, I would have been out. Like.
2: Oh, I would have been done.
0: If the FBI is listening, listen, listen, listen. We're a small podcast. Cool. No one believes the things that we say, anyways. And honestly, I'm not a big conspiracy person, but this one has a lot of evidence. It's not just like, could be, could. There's like a lot of hard evidence and. FBI saying sketchy things and doing sketchy things. To me, it's more than a conspiracy.
2: Hey, man, all conspiracies to me are more than conspiracies. All the government ones, at least.
1: Behind every conspiracy, there's a
2: truth. Mm-hmm, there's a little bit of the truth. I
0: don't know. All right, are y'all ready to hear about next week's episode? Yes. Yeah. I'm excited because yes. we haven't seen, we ha- I haven't seen this one. We haven't done this one. Y'all let me know if y'all have seen it. You ready? CSI mm-hmm. Miami. Nope. Nope. Yep. No, I hadn't either. All right. CSI Miami, season 10, episode 11, crowned. Okay.
2: Where can they find this episode at?
0: I watched it on Paramount, which apparently just has everything.
2: Yeah, they got quite a bit. Oh
0: Can't
4: wait.
0: Yeah, it'll be fun. To see a new episode.
4: Awesome.
0: All righty. And with that, I'm your host, Kinsey Huseman. This is Crime on Prime Time, and we are signing
4: out. See ya.